You're listening to The Sweeper, the pan-European football podcast that brings you all the news from the 55 UEFA nations and sometimes a little bit beyond. On this episode of The Sweeper, we talk about the Norwegian YMCA team where it's fun to play, 7th tier Deportivo Murcia's unprecedented Copa del Rey exploits, and the Thai national team's unexpected stop-off at McDonald's. Hello everyone, welcome to the Sweeper podcast. Now, in just a few minutes, you're about to hear an entirely normal podcast from us, but we're inserting this section at the forefront of the show because, in your own words, Paul, there has been a work emergency for us in the form of San Marino, tiny, plucky San Marino, the world's worst ranked team, a team that has not won a match in 133 games, scored their first competitive goal in over two years against Denmark, the world's 18th best team, and ran them bloody close. Where do we start with this? <laughs> well, for me, it was, it was as you say, a work emergency in that I was just sitting, having having some food with my wife, like a normal person. Suddenly, my phone started to just vibrate again and again and again and again. It's like what what's happened you know what what's going on is something wrong you know is it is is, is everyone all right in the family <laughs> put the phone out and just saw your text so i got a message from you saying we're gonna have to do like a special edition podcast here aren't we if they win i don't really know where to start because obviously most of the time when san marino play as soon as they can see um, the goal that's it isn't it because you know, they haven't scored a goal in any match at all since November. That was against St. Lucia in a friendly. They haven't scored a competitive goal in more than two years since they scored in a 7-1 loss against Poland. So when they go behind, that's it. So when that happened tonight, a lovely goal from Manchester United's Rasmus Hoyland, by the way, firing the ball right into the roof of the net, you just presumed that that's it because that's what happens with San Marino. Yeah, and in fact, there'll be a lot of people who lose money on this because quite a popular bet is San Marino to lose and not score. So people often tack that onto an accumulator because, okay, the the odds are still not great. But if you put for them to not score as well, you get something approaching some odds that are worth putting them into a stack of other other bets. Mm -hmm. So I imagine there's probably a fair few people who've lost money tonight because, as you say, it's just it's such a foregone conclusion that they won't score so I remember their last goal Nicola Nani scored against Poland and I did actually see that at the time but I think they were already four down and again it was like a pitch invasion it was you know delirious scenes but they never had any chance of, of getting anything out of the game so this is a this is a very very rare occasion it takes me back to obviously when they scored that famous goal against England where they actually opened the scoring uh, after what you know Guadalajara after you know a few seconds but very, very rare for San Marino to actually be either leading or level. Yeah, they were quite close as well in the end to getting their first competitive point, I think, uh, in what would have been, I don't know when it would have been, but in in a, in a qualifier, it would have probably been around 10 years. I think the commentator mentioned around 2014. But let's let's dedicate some time to talk about the goal, because it could literally be years before we get another one. 
uh, a corner kick over on the right-hand side. The ball is played in and Alessandro Golanucci, the captain, meets the ball on the edge of the penalty area with a volley. He's kind of leaning back. He's almost losing his footing. It goes through a crowd of players and Simon Kier, the Denmark defender, sticks a leg out in the hope of blocking it and diverts it past his own goalkeeper, Kasper Schmeichel. And the scenes, you would have thought they won the World Cup. The players all streaming over to the side, a full slide to the to the sidelines, all the players uh, and coaches streaming on. I mean, it was just lovely to watch, really lovely. Yeah, it's an amazing thing to watch and quite unique in international football, isn't it? it, it the closest thing you get, I suppose, is the giant killer goal in the FA Cup, the English FA Cup, maybe when you get a, a non-league team scoring. But yeah, it's just, it's a lovely thing to see. And it's funny watching the Danish players could all see them standing around sort of looking at each other thinking, no, this can't be, this can't happen. Because obviously it doesn't usually happen that, that it gets close, but the pressure that a team must feel in the situation those the Danes were put in, to be that team that could potentially have this national humiliation dealt on them, it's, it's pretty it's pretty nerve-wracking, I imagine. I really wouldn't have wanted to be them. But it's a, t- a testament, again, to these kind of players and their mentality. They just went straight back and scored, basically. But still, it was um, that was a big moment, anyway. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sadly, it didn't last for long. There could be some rightful complaints, I think, from San Marino about the build-up to Denmark's second goal, which was scored by Yusuf Poulsen. Because there was a foul, or what looked like a foul, on uh, the number five, I think Chevili, in the in the build up to that goal, it was, I think, given some attention um, or, or or some kind of review. It was either there was a delay, so it was either that or they were attending to a player who had cramp. But I do think that the incident was reviewed. It was deemed to be, um, you know in accordance with the rules. But I did feel that was a little bit harsh because, you know, San Marino needs some breaks. And I mean, it looked like a foul to me in my entirely biased opinion. It, it did look like a foul. Uh, yeah. You know how they always say teams have scored too early. Say, so, oh, he scored, scored too early. This is one of those. San Marino really needed that goal in the 89th minute and then just camp out uh, in defence. Because you, you can't help but feel in a weird way, once the Danes were stung into life, I think, was going to come um but yeah i mean huge huge credit to san marino for for managing this and um it does it goes back to that thing we talked about where they were talking about the youtuber who had um who played football manager and done like how many seasons it was trying to get them to win a game against a premier league team and it was hundreds of years or something i don't think it's all that far you know if they can do that against denmark why why can't they just um Couple together a win against one of the lower teams it, it it's crazy isn't it it suddenly seems much more possible yeah i think so too i just want to read out a tweet from the san marino fan account which over the course of tonight's game has gained around ten thousand followers i do worry about this guy's heart when he watches <laughs> san marino games because i genuinely feel that you know when that win does eventually come one day the guy is just going to keel over but my favorite tweet of the night i'll read it out Fun fact, San Marino doesn't have an army or military vehicles except for one tank. That tank is used as a striker in the national team and is called Nicola Nanny. Oh, I mean, honestly, I cannot imagine how that account must feel on a night like tonight. I also would love to know who it is. I think I saw something someone said to the person running the account, you know, how are you going to feel when San Marino win? 
and they said that they'll reveal their identity. And I think it's quite interesting because we we don't know where they're based. I don't think we don't know anything about this person who runs this account except how mad they go every single game. Um, we pretty much know they're not from San Marino because they're not in the stadium. And also, not to be too rude, but I'm not sure any San Marinese people are actually as bothered about this as 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 this person is. So um, uh, it's be really fascinating to see where this person is, how they do this. I'd, I'd love to have an insight into that life. If, if 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 it's a work emergency for for us, can you imagine how much San Marino's football uh, fortunes dictate this person's life? And for it to be someone who's possibly somewhere in like Brazil or um, you know Japan, it's quite a funny thought, really. Listeners are about to hear a full podcast from us. The first half of which pretty much rounds up all of the international action. Uh, but a couple of things happened tonight. You had Kazakhstan coming back to beat Finland, and then you had this goal from San Marino. Do either of those uh, rank as the the shock of this international break before we move on to the rest of the stories? Yeah, I'd say San Marino does. And I, I'm always quite biased in favour of San Marino. But um, we've spoken, haven't we, about um, who we thought they might get a point against, I suppose. We we spoke about, you know, could they get a win at the start of this qualifying campaign? And if one of us had said, we reckon Denmark would be the closest they get, I think the other one would have said to them that, Maybe they'd done a little bit too much podcasting and needed a bit of time off. <laughs> it just wasn't even on our radar. And Kazakhstan, again, like very honourable mention, but I don't know if it's a shock anymore. You know, they really have shown they've they've got the potential to even qualify for this tournament. I, I don't think they quite will automatically, but yeah, another great result. All right. Well, we'll leave it there then for the the San Marino emergency section. Listeners, we've chucked this in very quickly. The audio quality might not be the best, but after a quick piece of music, you're about to hear a usual high quality audio podcast from us. So we'll catch you in a minute. Paul, you told our patrons at the end of the last episode that you'd be heading to Mongolia to watch their World Cup qualifier against Afghanistan, but you're currently not in Ulaanbaatar. What happened? <laughs> Pick me up on that immediately. Yeah, I got ill. I wasn't feeling brilliant when I announced it on the last pod and then just started to feel gradually worse and worse. And just the look of these, this route, you know, flying to Turkey and then flying off to Ulaanbaatar, I was just... I just realised I wasn't up to it. So a bit disappointed to miss it, um, especially given all the drama that, that took place. But I'm sure we're going to go into that. It was quite a, an eventful game in the end. Yeah, I wanted to ask about that. As it stands, because we're recording around midday on mm. the 17th of October. So not all of the first round fixtures in the Asian qualifying rounds have taken place yet. But Mongolia have been eliminated by Afghanistan. They're the second country to have been eliminated already from the 2026 World Cup. What was the controversy? Because you posted on Twitter something about the Afghan coach that really caught my attention. Yeah, so there were some rumblings in the build-up that Afghanistan's coach, Abdullah Al-Mutairi, was not the most popular man in the dressing room, let's say. Afghanistan got the victory over Mongolia in the in the first uh, leg of the tie and, and then you know, turned up in Mongolia. And it had emerged that the players were no longer taking his instructions, like he wasn't running training sessions, the players were not interested in playing for him anymore. This was 24 hours before kickoff that that this was all happening. And so they're in Ulaanbaatar, in the hotel, won't even engage with the coach. And then it emerged this morning, so as the team sheets were being filled out, 
that the um, the coach, Al-Mutari, had refused to sign the Afghanistan team sheet and was intending to pull the team out of the game, to forfeit the game, therefore being a 3-0 victory to Mongolia and putting them through. At which point, I believe the chronology is that the Federation sacked him for doing that rather than for the fact he'd lost the entire dressing room. And the players overruled him. And I think his assistant signed the team sheet and put them onto the field. And then they went out and, and won uh, 1-0, which is an amazing effort when you consider the absolute mayhem that that, that sort of pre-match preparation must have been. Yeah, would a coach have veto power to not sign the team sheet and therefore not send his team onto the pitch? It's a really interesting point, that. And I, I wasn't totally sure. Um, I think he does. I think the coach has the ability and in fact, the responsibility to sign the team sheet that puts the team onto the field. So I think the decisive thing was that he must have been sacked ahead of that, which would then allow the Federation to appoint someone else who could sign the team sheet. But it's a really interesting point of semantics that and one that I think probably has never come up in the history of football, because it's one thing for a federation to pull a team out of a game. That's 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 completely different. It's usually a political or, a, you know, there's some sort of um, dispute within within the federations. But for a coach unilaterally to make that decision, I'm not sure it's ever happened. I'd love to hear if anyone knows of an occasion where a coach has gone rogue and decided to take the 3-0 defeat. But it was absolute mayhem in the build-up. And I think the two things seem to have been cited, that this coach wasn't popular. He had created a dynamic where he had favourites in the dressing room and he was manipulating certain players and relationships between them to sort of subjugate the players a bit. Also, some of them were saying his tactics just weren't up to it. You know, some of the players in that in that Afghanistan team are playing outside of Afghanistan and were coming in and saying, look, this guy just doesn't know what he's, what he's doing. And amongst those players, you know, you've got players who play in the UK, one who's from playing in the Faroe Islands at the moment, Noor Hussein, who scored, is at Southend United. So I think the feeling was that they were coming into training sessions and just saying, look, this, uh, this guy's not up to it. And eventually it came to a head and it was between, you know, uh, it was a, a rift between, you know, the players and the coach and it was only really going to go one way. But, but within the context of that, amazing achievement to have won the match really disappointing for Mongolia not to have taken advantage of it so did I understand correctly that the coach was actually angling for a forfeit he was trying to get Afghanistan to forfeit Hmm. the game because that's a very dramatic step no matter what's going on in the background if you're trying to get the team to lose something has really gone wrong there hasn't it it has and what I mean you're not going to make yourself very popular I think it's fair to say um, but this isn't the first time he's he's known for his weird behavior. So one of the ones that made me chuckle was when they entered the Afghanistan entered the Central Asian Nations Cup last, I think it was this year, actually. And um, they didn't have a great time there. But the one that was was most interesting was he um, the coach ordered his team off the field against Kyrgyzstan when they conceded uh, in the 97th minute. So it was nil nil conceded in the 97th minute, refused to let his team continue the game, said, nope. Goal should not counted. We're we're walking off, and so because it's the ninety seventh minute, the referee just said, "All right, fine." Blew the whistle, and they lost three nil by default. <laughs> so again, it wasn't like the greatest piece of strategic thinking. He had also had a a fight with Bangladesh's assistant coach in a game uh, back in I think that was quite recent. It was last month, so he'd had a proper scuffle. So I think there's a sense he's a real loose cannon, and they're probably best shot of him, to be honest. Yeah, probably someone that we as Brits would describe as an absolute character. And given that one of the people <laughs> we recently described as an absolute character on the pod is Gigi Bacali, you know roughly how we're bracketing him. 
Afghanistan eliminated Mongolia, of course. Mongolia are the second country to be eliminated from the 2026 World Cup. The first is Guam, who lost both legs against Singapore. I mean, apart from being a Pacific island of 170,000 people, what do we know about Guam? Guam's a pretty fascinating case in that Guam's not a nation, for a start. It's a, it's a, a US territory. So it has this slightly weird situation where there's no Guam passport. So Guam's kind of a success story in that they have come a really long way in a really short space of time. And one of the reasons for that was their former president, uh, Richard Lay, was very well connected, uh, a really very rich, I think he's a billionaire businessman. He managed to get them in the right kind of direction to get into AFC, to get into Asian Football Confederation and get these amazing facilities built. They've got a really nice training facility in Guam. And then they also had this this English coach, Gary White, who maybe some people know about, he is also, I believe, at Chinese Taipei at the moment. He's a well-traveled English coach. And what he did that was very clever was he found a way to tap into Guam heritage players. So he found a lot of players with links to Guam who were all over the US, collegiate players mainly, and built this really well-drilled unit that would then completely exceed expectations how much some of those players were from Guam was always up for debate because there's no Guam passport. So while other countries have quite difficult stipulations to play for them, it was very hard to say for Guam. They, they actually kind of slip under the radar a bit because there is no Guam passport. But, you know, these these players, were a lot of them have come from either military families. So Guam has a huge military presence. It's it's very important for, for the US military. So a lot of people who would have parents who had been stationed in Guam therefore could have been born in Guam. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of potential for them to, to tap into this market. And their real highlight came when they beat India uh, in 2015. And it brought about complete chaos and emergency in India because a lot of people in India couldn't even put this place on a map. 170,000 people. And they'd beaten one of the biggest nations in the world by population, but certainly one of the bigger hitters in, in South Asian football. So that was their kind of calling card. Since then, it's been a little bit less dramatic. They did beat Bhutan in the last World Cup qualification quite easily, but um, they really acquitted themselves well against Singapore. And uh, a measure of it was just how flustered Singapore got. Like Singapore were were really time-wasting, getting frustrated with them. And you could see on another day, it wouldn't have been beyond Guam to have got a result there. To hop back to the not having its own passport thing, a little bit of context. This is an island territory of the United States. And I think it's quite ironic, isn't it, that the first nation to be eliminated from a World Cup that will take place in, amongst others, the United States, is an overseas territory of the United States. Yeah, it's quite it's quite amusing isn't it, when you think about it that way. I, I think it's one of those places people don't even really know exists. Because of my relationship with Micronesia, we always saw Guam's our big brother as something to like aspire to. So Guam for us was like the bright lights. Um, it was like the Vegas of the region. I also... To finish off the Richard Lay story, so he actually was was done for massive corruption in the end uh, and was was banned from football, uh, this former president. The current vice president, however, is his brother. So you don't massively shift <laughs> things in football. They just gradually drift. I, I have a bit of an axe to grind with Richard because he once took me out for a meal uh, when I was in Guam. And I knew he was a big deal. I think I knew he was a billionaire. And we went to this restaurant. It was totally average bog standard restaurant. And at the end, there was this pause when the bill came. And I absolutely guarantee to you that he was waiting to see if I'd pay the bill. And I was making to pay the bill, thinking this is a bit rude. You know, I'm in Guam. You're a multi-billionaire businessman. I'm just some, some schmuck who's barely got any clothes on his back. 
as I went to pay the bill, he said, oh, no, don't worry about that. It's taken care of. As we left, he said, I own this restaurant. (laughs) (laughs) He would totally have let me pay. I know it for sure. So when he was done for corruption, I thought, yeah, good riddance. (laughs) Well, uh, on to some other international stories now. You put in the dock for this episode. You wanted to talk a little bit about Sierra Leone and Pakistan again. Um, Mm. Which one of those do you want to go to first? Well, Pakistan's a funny one because they're actually playing as as we record and they are beating Cambodia, which would be an incredible result for them because they just haven't had a chance to play. Their, their federation has been so badly managed for so many years that footballing opportunities have been just cut into tiny pieces. And um, for example, this, I believe the best story of this is Yusuf Butt, who is in goal for them today, made his debut Oh, I've got to get this right because I'll look silly. So he made his debut for Pakistan in 2012 in an away game against Singapore. It's now 11 years later that he's about to play his first home match for the country. And the <laughs> reason it's so bad is because the Federation has been embroiled in political squabbles, government interference, all sorts, every bad thing you can think. And Pakistan has continually been suspended by FIFA. So they've barely played any matches. Uh, but there's this huge potential for Pakistan. And the funny story I did want to tell, it's not funny, it's actually quite quite sad in a way, but it but it's it shows the craziness of I guess football administration is that they have um Pakistan had a, a really like big hope for the for these these games and it was Otis Khan who plays for Grimsby in England. And he has played for Pakistan before. It's not his first time playing for them. He's um pretty talented uh attacking midfield player. And he qualifies I think for his grandfather, I think his grandfather is Pakistani. That's how he qualifies to, to play for them. But then on the eve of the game, he had travelled. He was with the squad, ready to play on the eve of the first leg. He got told actually he couldn't play because it had been deemed that he doesn't qualify because uh, his grandfather was not, in fact, from Pakistan. He said, well, that's that's not true. He is. Look, here's the birth certificate and everything. And it's because Pakistan didn't actually exist when his grandfather was around so his his grandfather was pre-partition so there was no Pakistan so effectively he was being penalized for the fact the country that he wanted to play for didn't exist when his grandfather was from there and it's not been resolved he's not managed to play today either so uh, this victory over Cambodia if they can get it would be despite losing one of their kind of big hopes for an incredible piece of sort of feverish paperwork that he, he can't show that he's from the place because Basically, yeah, the, the the treaty of partition didn't exist at the time, which is a pretty harsh burden of proof to have to do, isn't it, really? Yeah, that's that's quite amazing, especially when you consider what you just mentioned about Guam and the fact that they can sort of, you know, sort of field, field players with very vague links. And then you've got a guy here who has a genuine claim to, you know, play for a country and, and isn't able to. Um, another surprising player who is featuring for a country you might not know about is curtis davies what's uh what's going on with his late blooming international career well he's he's got the call up for sierra leone and um this is it's actually a really lovely story so curtis davies was as shocked as anyone to get this call up because he is now 38 years old playing for cheltenham town i think it's you know it's fair to say he's sort of closing his career down a little bit he may may be sort of coming towards the end of his his playing days and he got the call because he's got Sierra Leonean father he got the call to say you know would you would you like to play for Sierra Leone in these uh upcoming games against Benin and Somalia it's it's a couple of friendlies and it's just a really kind of sweet story because obviously it means a lot to him to represent the country that his father was 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 from and um to get this call at 38 is is quite quite stunning really one of the later 
international debuts I can remember. We did actually talk about one on the pod quite recently. Do you remember someone who'd made a debut incredibly late in their lives? Yeah, is this Roberto Di Maio, the San Marino defender? Absolutely. And he was 40, I believe, wasn't he, when he made his debut? He had actually naturalised, I think he was an Italian who had naturalised San Marinese and made his debut at 40. So it does show none of us should be giving up at this point. Let's move over to the European qualifiers next, because we've got a few quite interesting stories from amongst the UEFA nations. A Poland getting stuck in the Faroe Islands. We have talked quite a bit on this pod about how high the Faroe Islands is on our respective football bucket lists. So I don't think I would mind getting stuck in the Faroe Islands, but I think Poland did. They won there on, I think, Friday evening and were due to fly back that day, but they couldn't because of bad weather and ended up having to stay an extra night. But the thing that I really like about the story is that when they did eventually charter a flight on Saturday, they invited a group of supporters to fly back with them, knowing how difficult the transport connections would be from the Faroe Islands to Poland. And among the fans that they invited back on the plane with them is a guy called Andrzej Bobowski. Have you heard of him or or seen him? Because he has a very distinct look. No, who is this guy? So he has, this is a Poland fan who has been to the last 12 World Cups. Uh, But what sets him apart is that he wears a crown and a king costume. So he wasn't, (laughs) he wasn't wearing them at the time of this flight. But if you ever watch a Poland game on TV and the camera pans to a guy wearing a crown and a king costume, it's this super fan essentially who follows the national team everywhere. And he flew home with the team on this charter flight on Saturday. That's amazing. That's a lovely story. We do love stories of teams getting stuck places, don't we? (laughs) We certainly do. To go from one Poland story to another, I'd actually meant to mention a story on the past pod, but we didn't have time. It's not international, but it is about super fans from Poland. There's a Legia Warsaw fan who has been to 1,000 live games in a row. I forget the guy's name, but he's been to every single game that they've played since 2002, including the ones overseas as well, uh, which has taken him to 39 different countries, all following his team. Now, that that's incredible. That is incredible. I've got a lot of respect for these people. You sometimes see some of these records and you think, just to have gone through like all the life things that you'd have to brush out the way, like, were there no... There are no like weddings, there are no funerals, there are that you didn't get ill. Like, how do people keep these streaks up? Like, I, I don't know, maybe it's just having a young family, but I can barely couple together two or three weeks without there being some reason I can't do something. Yeah, <laughs> it's amazing, really. Yeah, quite an impressive effort. Uh, we've got a couple of other headlines that we wanted to round up quickly from Croatia and Georgia. So, Croatia, widely recognized, I think, as being a football nation that punches above its weight when you consider you know its its population size and the, the country size um they had held a record until this international break they had never lost a home euro qualifier they were the only uefa nation to have never lost a qualifier on home soil until as i say this break they lost one nil to i think it's vincenzo montella's turkey now isn't it he's the new yeah. coach in charge there um, replacing the brilliantly named Stefan Kuntz. And uh, yeah, that's this this 37-game 
uh, unbeaten streak at home in qualifiers has finished, which um, that's really impressive. That's like, that's, that's absolutely mad not losing in 37 games. Yeah, it's, it's incredible, isn't it? Didn't Italy have a run a little bit like that coming into the, the Euro that they won? Maybe the Euro? I felt like Italy had an incredible streak like that. It can sometimes be a bit of a curse when you go into a big tournament, I feel, somehow. Like, I feel like the teams with these kind of records then get into the tournament and then just lose. <laughs> and then that's it. And it's the brutality of tournament football, isn't it? That you can you can win so many games in these qualification campaigns and most of those wins actually don't really matter because you're going through anyway. And then when it comes to it, you have 90 minutes and you can be knocked out in a, in a knockout match just like that. It, mm. It's such a funny thing about international football that... that you can be a hero or a villain over the course of such a tiny amount of football. I think to go back to the Italy example, the obvious difference is, I suppose, the fact that Croatia is a much newer country. So mm. I'm sure that, you know, other countries, like I think Italy and Spain have both had incredible records in home Euro qualifiers that have eventually come to an end. But Croatia, as a newer country, has only just lost its its unbeaten tag now. Uh, Georgia have set a pretty incredible record as well in this series of internationals because they recorded their biggest ever win and their biggest ever defeat in consecutive months which i think uh, i think they might be the only country in the world to do that because usually you know you have peaks and troughs in your form and you know 10 years ago you might have been terrible you got you got bashed 10 nil and and now you're doing better and you might win a game six nil and a friendly or whatever but georgia have done that in in consecutive months albeit to very different opposition because last month they lost 7-1 at home to Spain. This month they beat Thailand at home 8-0. Yeah, that is that is pretty unusual, isn't it? I think they were aided by the the truly well, the truly dreadful state of the Thailand football team at the moment, or the way they're being run. It's funny, as you say it, did they not also bash Mongolia? It's partly to do with their choice of opposition. Because Georgia beat Mongolia, was it 6-1 in a friendly back in March. So I think it's partly because Georgia's FA seemed for some reason, whatever it is, to be lining up some pretty interesting sort of Asian friendlies, which which obviously gives them this this chance to really give some teams a bit of a bashing. But I also do think Thailand do not look like they're being well run at the moment. Yeah, do you want to go into that a little bit more? And in particular, their strange culinary choice uh, at the weekend? Yeah, so there were, there were messages going around on Twitter and it had to be kind of verified because you've got to be careful with these things. But it does appear that the Thai Thailand football team has been en route between two friendlies. So they're going from Georgia, where they've been beaten 8-0, to Estonia. And the thing that I found actually quite weird, and it probably shows a lack of geographical knowledge on my part, was it seems like this journey is actually quite torturous. They seem to be taking quite a long time over it. Um, so maybe it's that there's not a direct flight, which would kind of make sense. And they're having to do two and they're in transit. But it seemed like they were in transit for a whole day. And during that process, the FA didn't feed the players in any way. So they had to go and get McDonald's. And so there's photos of really sad looking Thai players clutching bags of McDonald's and looking a bit bemused. It's not a good look, is it really, for a, for a football federation to not really be able to to manage getting their players fed with something that isn't just a sort of <laughs> McDonald's at an airport? Yeah, I mean, it, it looks incredibly unprofessional, especially when you think that probably I think most national teams would take their own chefs when they go abroad now. It, it's quite bizarre in the modern day. 
I had a little look online to see what the healthiest McDonald's item you could get hold of was, you know, just in the interests of the Thai team's <laughs> nutrition. It's apple slices. Uh, I don't imagine that they uh, <laughs> that they bought themselves the apple slices, but that is the healthiest item on the McDonald's menu. Wow, that's a that's a bleak picture, isn't it? Um, yeah, it, it's it's really not a good look, and I think you see this when you um when you're so used to the slick polished industry that is european especially european nations but also you know other nations around the world but the the real elite nations and how they're run when you see some of the way that teams in in asia and africa especially are run it, it's just mind-boggling and i we had a bit of an incident of this that caused a little bit of friction between pakistan and cambodia that when cambodia's players arrived in pakistan they were quite angry that they were met by like a really old couple of old battered vans that didn't really have space for stuff and they had to lug their own bags onto the the carriers and stuff it just there was a lot of like bitterness i think about the way they were met in pakistan and i think it did turn up that a bus just hadn't turned up to pick them up as as was planned and some people were saying was this mind games you know pakistan trying to give them a rough ride because they'd arrived at like 3am anyway and they, they looked knackered but I think it's a lot of the time it's just that things are not necessarily done at a standard of professionalism that we come to take for granted when you're used to watching the top top layers of the game. You know, it's it's such a different process being a player for a team like, you know, Singapore, Guam, Sri Lanka, whatever you want to say, uh, compared to what it feels like to be a an England player or a Spain player or something. Yeah, absolutely. I think that will do for a pretty comprehensive international roundup. Uh, let's take a quick break and we'll come back and talk about some club stories after the break and read some of your best emails too. Welcome back to the Sweeper podcast. Now, we are going to talk about some very interesting stories from the club game in just a minute. But on the last podcast, we put out a call to you, our listeners, who are spread across 140 different countries and territories around the world. We wanted to hear from those of you who thought you might be the only listener in your respective country. We got a flood of emails. So thank you so much for everyone who did message in. We won't have time uh, to read them all out today, but we have picked out a selection that we're going to read out on air. Uh, Paul, do you want to kick off the process? Yeah, so I'm going to. I'll start with um, with Tom, who has emailed in to say, "Yeah, you're looking for worldwide listeners. Uh, I'm living in Yangon in Myanmar. I imagine I'm the only listener from Myanmar. I support Southampton. So, um, yeah, I think he is in Myanmar, isn't he? But." Um, probably not a bad time to be there with them thrashing Macau uh, in the first leg of their qualifier. They are en route to the next stage of the World Cup. So yeah, thanks for listening in Miami. Um, I believe you are the only one. Please do ask some friends to do it as well. And then we can get that number up to to become one of the biggest podcasts in Myanmar, which I think is our, you know, our main goal for this, the whole thing, really. Only you would be able to reel off Myanmar's latest result without looking anything up at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I, I may or may not have watched a bit of that game. So yeah, <laughs> fair enough. We got another mail from Winston. Uh, I'm going to read this out. It's a bit longer, but it's really interesting. He says, hey, Sweeper, I'm a big fan of your podcast from Hong Kong. Might be the only one from there. 
I'd like to tell you about a club called Hong Kong Under 23s, which basically has the same concept as the San Marino Academy team, where only players under the age of 23 could play. This team was founded during COVID times as there were limited clubs that were willing to participate in our top tier. Anyway, this club is interesting as it might be the only team to have never won a match in their league before, as in their three seasons of football, this current season is their third, they have never won a match and have only ever had three draws. I watched them play KC Southern last weekend and they were awful. I think this would be an interesting story for the next regular pod and would appreciate it if you could dig a bit deeper to see if any other club has played a full season but never won a league match. Ooh. It's a great question. Um, it feels like a thing that's possible, but I can't say I can think of anyone who comes to mind. I mean, that is that's pretty grim. I like I like the office as well. That went to see them. Yeah, they were awful. <laughs> Confirmation. Confirmation. Yeah. yeah, no, no bright spots. If you're if you're one of the players listening to this podcast, you think, oh, okay, we got a mention. Yeah, no, we are we are bad. <laughs> Where else did we get some good mails from? Well, I got a good one from uh, here. So Cody, who's from Canada, admits, you know, not going to be the only Canadian listener. I think I think that's that's true. I, I've got a Canadian passport. I'm half Canadian. So I don't know. Does that count? I didn't know that. Yeah, I do. I was born there. I was born in Lethbridge, Alberta. One of the. Um, oh. In fact, if you if you look up Lethbridge, Alberta, one of the main questions that comes up is what is that smell in Lethbridge, Alberta? <laughs> It's not a place known for its tourist industry. Um, but yes, he says, not the only Canadian listener you have, and that's that's true, but he's from New Brunswick and says maybe the only person from New Brunswick. I think I think that is true. I, I always forget there is a New Brunswick uh, at all. It's not a place I've ever thought about. Um, and says that he's planning on making the trip to Saint-Pierre-Miquelon next year. Now that would be, I'd be incredibly jealous. I, I definitely want to know if you make that trip. Um of course, St. Pierre Miquelon famed for its three-team league uh, and that sends a team to the Coupe de France every year all the way over to the French mainland. And as if we didn't think he meant business, he says his last football game was UE Sant Andreu versus uh, Cedagnola in Barcelona a few weeks ago. So he clearly can do it. <laughs> I believe in his ability to get to St. Pierre Miquelon. That sounds like the uh, right level of obscureness for this podcast. I got one from Sage here who says, I'm unsure how many listeners you would have in New Zealand, but there's at least one. Born and raised in Denmark, I spent eight years in London before moving to Melbourne and then Auckland, New Zealand. I absolutely love your podcast. And then he he, he tells us which clubs he supports, which is just the, the most random mix you can think of. I support Odense, Charlton and Wellington Phoenix. So a glory hunter I am not. Keep up the good work. Oh, lovely. Absolutely love that. Like I said about the uh, the San Marino fans, who the ultras from San Marino, the Brigata Maona Gioia, who come mostly from Italy and, and Germany. It's like anti-glory hunting. There should be a word for it, shouldn't there? <laughs> really? I've got one more that we'll read out before we move on to the stories today. Uh, it's from Pablo. He says, I listen sometimes from Gibraltar, where I work, and sometimes from Spain, where I live, but my home country is Uruguay. Well, all I'd say to Pablo is that if you ever go back home to Uruguay, please listen to an episode there and that will take our list a little bit longer. What well, one man doing our stats for us. One man. Putting... Yeah, that's another question. Is, are there any listeners who have listened to us in multiple countries? Because, you know, is it actually that we've only got about four listeners, but some of them are going to like <laughs> American Samoa one week, going to Lesotho the next week? <laughs> 
Yeah, intrepid travellers. But there were some great emails in there. So thank you so much, everyone that did write in. And to the many people that did write in from Canada and the USA, whose mails we didn't read out, thank you so much as well. We have way more listeners there than I imagined. Let's move on to some of our stories for today next. And the main one, according to our patrons, 30% of whom have voted that they want to hear more about KFUM Oslo. Does that name mean anything to you, Paul? No, so I'm hoping it does to you. Otherwise, this is going to be a very disappointing segment for the, <laughs> for the listeners. Yeah, very good point. It does mean something to me. We've talked quite a bit about Norway because I think it's just got a load of really interesting narratives. You've got Bran, who were promoted last season, then went and won the cup straight away. You've got a title fight going on at the moment between Viking Stavanger and Bodo Glimt, which you might not necessarily expect. You've got one of the giants of the game, Rosenborg, who are down in ninth place. But stealing the show this season, in my opinion, is KFUM Kamaratana Oslo, because it's the sports branch of the local YMCA in Oslo, Norway. And the club is currently on the verge of promotion to Norway's top flight. So genuinely, we could have a YMCA team. And and for any overseas listeners or or anyone who doesn't know what YMCA is, it stands for Young Men's Christian Association, and it's a worldwide youth organization and and charity. So we could genuinely have a YMCA team in a European top flight. That's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. And there's only one song they can play when they walk on that field. Is there not? Surely. I was wondering if they changed the words to say it's fun to play for the YMCA. You've got to think right now that's the main concern they've got. Get that sorted. Absolutely. The rise, though, is is interesting, I think, because they were promoted to the second tier only in 2019. And ever since then, they've kind of been competing in and around the promotion places but without having really what it takes to get over the line and and get up to the elitas area but this season there's been a spectacular I suppose decline from one of their rivals Kongsvinger which is translated as King's Wings I think I particularly like that name but Kongsvinger um, completely threw away second place and they've allowed uh, KFUM to sort of steal in there And that means that I think they are seven points clear with four games to go. So you'd have to imagine that's quite a comfortable lead that they could do that now. Yeah, you'd absolutely back them, wouldn't you? Um, That's amazing. Yeah, King's Wings has got me, by the way. I've seen seen that team's name for, I don't know, as long as I can remember since I was a kid. And it's never once occurred to me that that's King's Wings. And I I just, I I think it's really done me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Some interesting sort of, Side notes about um, KFUM, apart from the fact that they're a Y... Can I just mention that again? They're a YMCA team. I can't get my Mm. head around that. Mm. But a couple of interesting things. They've got a core of Norwegian players. So up until the 4th of October, when they signed an Iranian goalkeeper, they were the only club in the division to have an all-Norwegian squad, which, um, Mm. you know, that's that's quite interesting that they're they're all sort of homegrown. I Mm. had a very interesting DM exchange with Ben Wells, who covers Norwegian football, just to ask, essentially, because it's very hard to find out information about a Norwegian YMCA team online. I asked him, you know, what's um, what's the story here? And he 
sort of mentioned some interesting stuff that I didn't really think of. So they're Oslo-based, which means that, you know, in his words, they're a catchment club for a lot of former top-tier players who want to keep playing football, but don't really want to move out somewhere to do it. Oh, okay, I get that. That's really interesting. Because that, that gives them quite a good niche selection like grounds doesn't it? it gives them quite a good pool to to, mm. to call from because yeah as one of my quotes i was just saying you know who would have thought why i'm saying we're calling a lot, a lot of young talent there finding, <laughs> lot of, finding young men are they by any chance yeah. <laughs> yeah you would have thought i mean a lot of their squad is generally quite young but i suppose they do have that you know, that added bonus of, of being based in the capital um, and they also seem to be quite well run. So Ben says a lot of the players will have played together before or, or come through the academy as well. So, yeah, it's just just a really, really nice story, which, uh, to my mind, was made even better when I discovered a Twitter spat that they had earlier in the season with another Norwegian second tier club, also based in Oslo, over Waffles. So... <laughs> The team that's currently bottom of Norway's second tier, Skyd, they claimed that the waffles sold at KFUM's ground were in fact not homemade, but produced using a powder mixture brought from a store, which led to a, a, yeah, a big spat between the clubs. That, again, just fantastic. Absolutely. Was it, do you get the impression it was a genuine spat? I mean, is this, is this like a, a huge cultural faux pas or was it just a kind of jokey thing? Well, uh, it's in Norwegian, and I have to say that the translation function uh, has limited usefulness, but it, it did look like Skyd were not happy um, about <laughs> the, the waffle situation. So yeah, that's that's KFUM. We'll be keeping a very close eye on them, of course, because that would literally be, you know, that's prime sweeper, isn't it? That's a story that we'll, we'll surely track closely. Another story that we've been tracking about a team that is uh, overachieving and surpassing expectations is the one of Deportivo Murcia, who were only founded in 2021 and became in May the first eighth tier club in Spain to qualify for the Copa del Rey in its 120 year history, which is a very impressive but b it should also be mentioned that it's only been in the last few years that the copa del rey has opened up to have a few regional representatives as well and previously it was only teams from the national divisions which might explain why it's taken until now for a you know a lower league team to be doing this yeah so sometimes you do it's, it's you get these stats sometimes don't you and they look incredibly impressive and then you drill down a little deeper and you think okay it's still really cool but it's not quite what it sounds like i can't quite remember there was one of those the other day yeah it was something about the fa cup and one of these clickbaity sites had done it about the english fa cup about how something hadn't happened in a hundred and something years maybe it's to do with replays or like extra time or something and actually someone replied and said yeah but for 75 of those years it was impossible and you think oh okay you're just you're slightly nipping at the edges to make that sound like a cooler stat but nonetheless it's, it's really it is really cool and we always love an underdog story um and, and i think it's interesting because being english that's such a thing in the fa cup here you know it's such a fact of the fa cup but i don't think that culture is is everywhere certainly in italy there's a lot less of that so it's interesting that in spain there's also that that sense of you know underdogs yeah and uh, if you're wondering why i'm mentioning them now when they did that in may when they achieved that feat of qualifying in may it's because they actually played the preliminary round of the competition the other day 
away to Melilla. Now, we just cannot stop talking about Spanish enclaves in North Africa at the moment, can we? But they went to uh, Melilla and they won 3-1, becoming the first ever seventh tier team in Copa del Rey history to win a tie in the competition. And uh, the draw, I think it takes place today, actually, on the day of recording, but uh, they are guaranteed to play one of 10 La Liga teams. So you will have uh, Deportivo Murcia of the seventh division against a top flight team in Spain. That's very cool. That is that is brilliant. Um, yeah, no, that's that's great news. Um, I didn't realise it was structured like that, actually, but that's that, I'm really sounds like it kind of works in that way. They have, Paul, you might have seen this, one of the worst badges in club football. This is, if you haven't seen it, it's a red shield. It's got white writing in the middle that says Deportivo Murcia FC. And it's got one football on the top and four down the left-hand side. And it looks like what might come back to you if you said to a teenager, could you go for an IT project, go make me something on Microsoft Paint. It is absolutely terrible. Uh, I then put out a tweet yesterday asking for your worst football club badge submissions. And uh, boy, it did the Twitter sphere deliver. We've got a great, <laughs> great selection. Uh, I'll start this off with you, Paul. Like, what are some of your worst and best as well badges in football? One of the ones that always springs to mind, and God knows I'm setting myself up here, but there's an Icelandic team. You remember the volcano that had all that ash that came up? And it stopped all the flights. This is a while back. There's a football team from that place. And they've got this badge that is a sort of cartoon cloud uh, zapping. Or like, I guess it's the cartoon ash cloud coming out of the volcano. It's at once incredibly beautiful and ugly. It's amazing. It, and the club name itself fills most of the badge. It's uh, FC I don't know, I'm not going to get near it. But yeah, that badge always, always pops into my mind. The other one was, there's a team in Moldova, and I can't seem to find them anymore, but it's a team in the city of Bender, which is in Transnistria, the disputed part of, um, of Moldova. And there's a badge that was so bleak and hellish that one of these clubs had, that when I looked at it, I was like, what? It just looked really disturbing. And the weird thing is I can't find this badge for Love Mill Money online. I'm wondering if I just dreamt it. So if anyone can find it, it's a club in Moldova that has a badge that's really deeply disturbing. If anyone can find it and just let me know this wasn't a weird dream that I had. Because I do sometimes dream about the Moldovan second tier and things like that. That's just a part of what we do. Um, Please do let me know. I, I didn't imagine it. Until I put that tweet out and I really went down this football badge rabbit hole. I never realised how bad Hamburg's is. Is it? The big Hamburg, the, the, the big old SV Hamburg? Yeah. So it's it's a blue rectangle with diagonal white and black squares in it. And it's just hmm. so basic. But I've just got used to seeing it now. Yeah, well, there's, there is this trend, isn't there, for clubs to overhaul old bad old logos. And sometimes what they do is they put in quite a faceless sort of new one instead of quite a charming old one. But on this occasion, it looks almost like the opposite's been done because there's, there's this whole like, yeah, this trend of, oh, we can't have an old badge. Let's put in some some design team. And in fact, was it, do I remember this correctly or was it a it may have been an online joke I fell for? But didn't Leeds United unveil a new badge that was basically a ripoff of like a pro evolution badge or something? It looked it looked absolutely awful. 
and it got canned because the fans were absolutely up in arms. I, I, I can't totally remember if this was genuine, though, or whether this was some sort of gag. But I, th- I think it was genuine that they got like one of these faceless design brands and they just made a badge that looked like every generic thing that someone who's never watched a football match would ever, would ever mm-hmm. think was a good idea. I think that was real, wasn't it? I think I don't actually know. Can't comment on that, but I'm sure uh, sure one of our listeners will be able to. Uh, have you seen Paul? I don't suppose you have, but if anyone has, it will be you. Have you seen the badge of Kakamega Homeboys from the Kenyan Premier League? <laughs> no, <laughs> I have not. But I I feel like I might be googling that soon. Uh, if you if you have a look at the responses to the, the sweeper tweet yesterday, you'll see it. It is a football perched upon a piece of rock with two pieces of corn on either side. And I mean, it's just, it's one of the worst. I can't, I can't really paint a better picture of it than that, but it is just dreadful. I mean, to, to be fair, chicken in FC from Zimbabwe is pretty bad. It's a, it's a chicken head on a football on a spike <laughs> but in fairness i guess the team is sponsored by chicken in the 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 restaurant the fast food restaurant so uh, i don't know you've already lost a certain battle when your team's called chicken in it's not likely you're gonna have a brilliant badge is it uh, i suppose the same could be said for finnish club sexy puxit which stands for <laughs> sexy, sexy pants, pants yeah. which um if you haven't seen this it is essentially just a football inside a pair of pants and the reason they're called sexy pants is because it is uh, it's supposed to instill confidence and the spirit of the pants. Now, I don't know what the spirit of the pants means, but apparently it means something <laughs> to the people in uh, in Finland. Um, Santa Claus, FC Santa Claus have a great badge, by the way. I'm going to go out there and, and, and name a good one now. That is just, um, yeah, it's a picture of Santa Claus writing on a piece of paper with a quill. It's what more do you really- want? Yeah, nothing really to do with football, but it's it is quite good. Do you want to do you want to throw any more into the into this chat? Uh, what good good badges specifically? Either or. Uh, I feel like I feel like as you say, they go under the radar until you see a bad one, and I think that these ones that look really um, like photoshopped or just weird are the ones that get me. But no, I can't. None, none spring to my right this second. But I know I'll think of one as soon as we're, as soon as we're done. But it's harder to do a good badge than a bad one. I do know that because actually, if you look at a lot of the biggest clubs in the world, the badges are not so much brilliant badges, but they're just very iconic. So you don't really think about them anymore. Yeah, there are genuinely just some some terrible ones out there though so um if you can think of one that we haven't mentioned and you're not on twitter and you haven't submitted it yet send us a mail at sweeperpod at gmail.com and we will we'll maybe discuss some of them next time if there are some outstanding candidates um that's it for the segment on kfum and deportivo musia and if you like these kind of stories about overachieving underdogs you absolutely need to check out our latest bonus pod where we talked about the likes of Von Ferre Kofu, the second division Japanese team with a French name winning in the Asian Champions League, the brilliantly named Sharktopus FC, a recreational American team only two rounds away from reaching the US Open Cup, and of course Transinvest, the Lithuanians founded only last year, but already winning domestic honours. And you can find that episode on our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash sweeperpod. 
It costs five pounds or whatever that is in your local currency per month. And it really does go a long way to helping independent creators like us keep our projects going in the long term. So if you enjoy the pod, if you look forward to the episode dropping every second Wednesday, and if you love the stories we unearth, please do consider supporting us there if you're able. Uh, Time is running out for today's episode, though, so we'll park it there for this one. We'll be back next week for a Patreon episode and back with another regular pod on the 1st of November. You've been listening to The Sweeper, the pan-European football podcast. If you like what you've heard, come and follow us on Twitter at SweeperPod and leave a review for us on your podcast platform of choice. Special thanks go to the Gentleman Creatives Design Agency in Vienna, Austria for their amazing graphics and logos. You'll find them too if you come to our Twitter page.